This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's Bigger Question, how do you deal with the loss of a child? Today we're at Belgrave Heights Convention recording a very special, intimate show before a small live audience here at Belgrave Heights. We're asking this question today to two people, John and Alison Risbridger. Now John lives in Southampton, England and serves as Minister and Team Leader at Above Bar Church. He has worked in churches and student ministry for many years, is a prolific speaker and author, and his Twitter profile says he's passionate about Jesus running and making curry and cream teas. And he joins me now. Please welcome John Risbridger. We're also asking this question today to Alison Risbridger. Now, Alison uh, works alongside John at Above Bar Church. Uh, she is a trained primary school teacher and also teaches English as a second language. She works in a number of areas across the church, including children's groups, students and women's ministries, and engages international guests at a weekly language cafe. And she joins us now. Please welcome Alison Risbridger. <laughs> Well, John and Alison, very much welcome to Bigger Questions here today. Now, you're both involved in Above Bar Church. Now, what does that mean? Is this a connection to golf, the law, or a pub? <laughs> yeah. um, sadly, it's not as interesting as any of those. <laughs> okay, um, <right. laughs> the reason is that the central monument in the city of Southampton is the Bar Gate, part of the old uh, medieval city walls, and everything on the north side of that is called Above Bar, and on the south side is called Below Bar, and our church is about 100 metres to the north of it, so it's called Above Bar Church. Right. That's it. That's, that's, that's pre- that is pretty disappointing. <laughs> it is, <laughs> so, isn't it? You haven't yeah. thought of changing the name to something more interesting? Uh, well, maybe we should, but okay. it's kind of known as that. Well, John and Alison, welcome to Australia and to Belgrave Heights, and thanks so much for being willing to come and share today, um, because today's question is a very big and personal one, the question of suffering and how to cope with the loss of a child. Now, this question is not merely a theoretical one uh, for both of you, so do you mind sharing your story? Tell us what happened. Maybe, Alison, tell us what happened. So um, I was a teacher and um, I'd just finished um, teaching, gone on maternity leave because uh, we were expecting our first child. And the next day I ended up in hospital having had a major bleed and um, our first child was delivered at 32 weeks, so about eight weeks early. Um, but because it was an emergency, nobody had kind of prepared the baby um, for an early arrival. Um, so he was very sick from day one. Mm-hmm. So uh, what, what was he sick with? Um, basically, his lungs had just never. It, they were they were stiff. They they hadn't softened, so he couldn't he couldn't breathe by himself. So he's in, in an incubator um, for about two weeks. He lived for thirteen days, and then sadly, um, yeah, he just wasn't able to to live by himself without the all the medical medical help that. Um, that he was surviving on. So yeah, Daniel was with us for two weeks, so that was quite a roller coaster ride. Yeah. So what was that two um, weeks like? Yeah, it was an incredibly up and down journey. Um, I guess, um, I mean, John and I had, had both come from fairly solid, strong families, both mm-hmm. Christian families, yep. um, and we'd both known God from um, a fairly early age. 
But I guess a situation like that throws you one way or the other. I think a lot of people run away from God because they ask so many big questions about about what's going on. But for us, it threw us onto God. Really? Um, and I think we found ourselves kind of, you know, the bits from the Bible that we'd known for years, but all mm. of a sudden they, they came to life. Mm. Some of the imagery in the Bible about God being a foundation and a, a refuge and mm. a rock and a fortress, that, that strong, safe place to hide was suddenly very real to us because yeah. that's what we needed. Um so although it was emotionally absolutely turbulent, um, in terms of our, our faith, there was something very rich about it. Mm-hmm. And every day was a roller coaster because, you know, the, the monitors go up and down and they're bleeping at you all the time. You don't know what's going on um, and you're very insecure. But it was a sense of, of God just putting his arms around us. And although everything around us was insecure and you know, just in turmoil, he was that safe place. And that, that one person who was just holding us so close, um, it helped us feel safe. Mm. Yeah. We'll get to talk a bit more about that in a moment. But John, what was the feeling like when you held Daniel uh, as he breathed his last? Yeah, it was it was painful because that was really the only time we'd been able to hold him because all the rest of the time he'd been too poorly to be uh, handled. Uh, so it was only once it was clear that he was dying and they took out the tubes and so on that we could hold him. Um, I, the thing that I... Obviously, it was incredibly painful. We were f- crying. We were sad. Um, we were shattered in, in many senses. Um, the thing I remember about it, though, was this sense, here I was as a father holding my son as he was dying. And in terms of my faith, this realisation that actually the God that I worship as father had watched his son die. And he it, somehow he knew, he understood. He, was, he wasn't a far away God just dealing out suffering unfeelingly. He, he knew what it was like to sit where I sat. Um, and so although... Obviously, we look back on it as a hugely painful time in life. It, it was also a time when our experience of the love of God was more immediate and intimate than probably at any other time before or since, I think. So it's such a paradox, really. You mm. know, mm. unanswered questions, um, and yet the sense that God was very near. Mm. Mm. The story of Daniel wasn't your only experience of losing a child. So what happened later, Alison? Yeah, so... Um, 11 months after uh, Daniel died, we had Nicola, um, who was a, a daughter. Yeah, a daughter. Um, so that was great. She was a, a real joy. And yeah, it was a little bit tricky with her, but basically she was fine. So how was and that then, feeling, though? Because you've lost a child. Now mm-hmm. this, another child comes. How was that feeling there when you, when, when you delivered the child or the child mm-hmm. came? Like, what did you feel mm-hmm. then? I think after we lost Daniel, I had this sense of empty arms. I just, I, I, I wanted a baby in my arms to hold. And when I had Nicola, she was there in my arms to hold. And so, of course, we absolutely treasured her. Um, I still can't get my head around the fact that if Daniel had lived, we wouldn't have Nicola. And, you know, Nicola's now um, 24 and she's a delight and a joy to us. And I can't imagine life without her. But she wouldn't be here if Daniel was here. And I, I just can't fathom that one. But, um, yeah, so it was great to have Nicola. And a real, she was a real blessing to us. Um, 
people always say, you know, one child doesn't replace another, and of course they don't. And probably the fact that she was a girl and we'd lost a boy kind of helped in that. Um, there wasn't that sense of one replacing the other. Um, but it was part of our healing, I think, that, that we had Nicola. But then just before she was two, well, we had a, a, sec a third child who was due around her, um, yeah, just before her second birthday. But things went rather wrong again. And um, we actually had a, a stillborn child um, who, uh, another little boy who we called Jonathan. Yeah, which was a very different experience to a child who'd actually lived for uh, 13 days. So that was, yeah, that was very difficult. Mm. So were your feelings of grief similar or different? No, uh, completely different. I think partly because we had Nicola, um, you know, we had to focus on her still and give her lots of time and attention. So in a sense, there wasn't that time just to kind of grieve and uh, not the same space as, as we'd had after Daniel. But I think with a stillborn child it's the emotions are very different because you've not kind of you're not connected with a living being um obviously there's that connection when you're carrying a child in your womb but it's very different to to seeing your your live baby there so it, it felt like a much more sudden just grabbing away of 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 life and much more stark um, so we didn't have any of that sort of gradual processing that we'd had with Daniel. Um, we were also in, in quite a different situation because we'd recently moved to a new area. Um, so we were in a new church, we had new friends, and those people around us didn't really know us that well, so they didn't know how to deal with us or with that situation. So we actually felt very alone in it. And, um, yeah, I actually... Yeah, I, I got very low. Um, and whereas before it had felt like God was very close and holding us and, and walking through it with us, there was a sense that God was, was far away. I just thought, where are you, God? And I tried to pray and it felt like I was talking into a brick wall. I tried to read the Bible and it just didn't have any truth in it. So it was a completely different experience for me. Well, Fyodor Dostoevsky said, the death of a child is the greatest reason to doubt the existence of God. So why do you think he said that? Well, um, because I think we all react very strongly to emotionally to the death of children, don't we? Um, the, the sense of a life snatched away, um, the, the sense of, of grief for those left behind, uh, the sense of what we perceive as the innocence of childhood as well, I think probably um, adds to it as well. Um, and I think elsewhere, Dostoevsky sort of, when, when people are talking about um, freedom as a possible explanation for the existence of suffering, he then uses the example of the loss of a child and says, you know, is it really worth it for, uh, for, for is freedom really worth that? I think, and you feel the force of what he was saying. I, I think for us, because our faith was strong and we are confident that um, both of our boys are safe with Jesus, we don't have the same sense of... Obviously, their lives were snatched away in terms of our ability to enjoy them, mm. but we don't have a sense of them being deprived of life because actually we believe they're 
safe with Jesus now and will share with us in the joy of the new creation. Uh, in many ways, they've been spared a lot of the, the suffering of life as it is now. So I, for me, there's not a huge sense of unfairness towards them, but obviously there is a huge sense of pain for us in mm, the loss mm, of mm, them. Mm. So did you ever doubt God's reality in the, when you lost Jonathan? I guess I did have times mm-hmm. because connecting with God felt so difficult during that time. It did make me start to, to ask, well, where is God? Mm. And actually, before we had Jonathan, I'd, I'd said to John, you know, if we lose this child, I don't know how my faith will survive. Mm. So I knew that was a possibility, that I, I could turn away from God. And I can understand people kind of with such big questions and doubts that maybe it does drive them away. And I suppose for me, I was getting distant from God. But there was a turning point for me. Mm-hmm. And it was when I, a lot of the Bible talks about remembering remembering what God has done. And there was a day when I started to remember what God had done in bringing us through our time of grief over Daniel. And I remembered that he'd been a God who had drawn close to us, who had shown his love in so many different ways. And I believed, and I still believe very firmly, that God doesn't change. And so I could actually say to myself, you know, I might feel that God is distant. I might feel I I don't understand what's happening. I can't explain it. But if God was a, a God of love and faithfulness and that experience in the past with Daniel, and if he's a God who doesn't change, then he is still a God who loves me. He's still a God who is good and who is faithful. And even if I can't see that now, I believe it's true. And it was a real turning point for me. And, and once I'd sort of made that, gone through that mental process or spiritual process of, of saying, yes, God is still the same. He does still love me. He is faithful and I can trust him. I began to progress mm. and start to draw close to him again. Mm. Um, so that was a real turning point for it, you. Absolutely. Yeah. How about you, John? What was your feelings through this experience? Well, it was a very much bleaker experience losing Jonathan than uh, losing Daniel. I sometimes describe losing Daniel as almost being like a sort of cotton wool experience in terms of our awareness of the love of God and the love of his people. It's an incredibly strong experience of church community. The second one, as Anderson said, the church community experience wasn't the same. It couldn't be the same. Um, the grief of losing a child that you never knew is very confusing. You didn't know whether... You couldn't locate it. There wasn't a mm. relationship Um, that was severed there was just kind of a gap so that was very very hard and then added to that Alison was very sick uh, really seriously sick uh, straight afterwards she'd lost well we were told she'd lost two-thirds of her circulating blood volume uh, in the bleed and had some complications and that so she was off in intensive care her own life quite in peril so for me in some ways uh, wanting to make sure Alison was okay slightly overtook the issue of Losing, losing my a child. son at that yeah. point, although we came to that later. I think uh, one of the things that we were very aware of during both of these experiences is that we'd, we'd always been in churches where the Bible had been well taught and we had a lot to fall back on in terms of that teaching. And mm-hmm. I think because of that, we never really had the idea that if we sought to live a faithful Christian life 
the implication of that would be that God would make our lives fairly straightforward and comfortable. We just, we'd never been given that expectation. Mm. Um, on the contrary, we'd understood, because we've been taught from Scripture, that the world we live in is a world that's been affected in every way by the, well, theologically, by the fall, by the choices that we've made as human beings. We don't live in the world as God intended it to mm. be. We live in a, a, a spoilt world, and part of the spoiltness in that world is that pain and suffering strikes in a way that seems to us to be random you know it mm. seems perhaps unjust but that's part of the spoiltness mm. um and so your, so your theological system your understanding of the bible actually helped you make sense exactly of what you were experiencing it, but you're now it experiencing did. it in a very intense yeah. and real way that's right so i think it, for me it wasn't any longer a question of you know did i believe in god still i did believe in god it was more a question of you know, how do I relate to him, given that I really know now that I don't understand his ways? Mm, mm. Um, so I guess the journey of trust was 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 more challenging. Um, was it difficult to trust God as good? Because I know that uh, acclaimed author C.S. Lewis explores this idea in uh, Grief Observed, which is uh, a book that he wrote uh, in the days after the death of his wife. And he cries out saying, what reasons have we except our own desperate wishes to believe that God is good? Yeah. Doesn't all the prima facie evidence suggest exactly the opposite? So was that a wrestle for you? Yeah, yeah, I think it was. I think it was. Um, the question isn't whether God is there. The question is whether I can trust him. Yes. Um, but it's really interesting, the thing about goodness, um, because I think that raises two issues. Number one, how do we know that God is good? Ultimately, I know that God is good because he gave his son Jesus for us to die on the cross in our place to bring us back to him. And mm. that's... That's the the kind of um, the the unshifting grounds mm. on which my confidence about the goodness of God uh, is based. That doesn't mean I don't sometimes struggle with what happens in my life. Of course I do, but I can go back to the incarnation, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and feel okay. I know that God is good because of that. But I think the other interesting thing that happens is. When we start to ask the question, is God good, we're beginning to bring the whole question of suffering into its real perspective because we're seeing that it is essentially a moral question. Mm. It's, to do, it's a particular example of the problem of evil. Um, it's a particular expression of that. And, and we think it raises questions about the goodness of God. The trouble is, if you put God out of the picture then actually the whole concept of good and evil no longer makes sense. Mm. So all of us have this kind of outrage in the face of human suffering. Um, and, you know, let's not just talk about the suffering of, of a couple. Let's talk about the Holocaust. Let's talk about the injustices in the world. Let's, let's talk about famine in Africa and, you know, the, mm. the, the real... Yeah. We all have this sense of outrage. We all say it shouldn't be, but even to say that shows that we're assuming some reference point by which we know what should be. Mm. And I can't make sense of that category, what should and what shouldn't be, unless I've got some kind of moral benchmark in the universe. Um, and for me, the only moral benchmark in the universe that makes sense is a God who is good. Mm. So even the question that we ask about suffering seems to me to kind of deconstruct itself mm. once you push God out of the picture. Keep God in the picture, which I feel I have to do in order to make sense of the problem. And then obviously the question is, OK, he's there, but is he good? Can I trust him? Well, that's what takes me back to the cross, mm. because then I know I can trust him.
So that's how I've sort of mm. worked it through. And so that was a very real uh, journey for yourself yeah. as you were trying to wrestle with these so the big questions, so to speak, but it was made into, brought into sharp relief by your own e- dramatic experience. So Absolutely. Yeah. And, and obviously the way that we think about these things changes, I think it goes a lot deeper when you're no longer thinking just in theoretical terms, mm. but in, okay, how does this cash yeah. out in my yeah. life now? Now, you've both mentioned the Bible, and it deals with suffering in many ways. Now, Psalm 46 in the Old Testament, Psalm 46, 1 to 2, says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. So, Alison, how did that resonate with you? Well, those verses were particularly poignant with Daniel. Yeah. I guess when you're faced with the fragility of life, you are looking for something that is bigger and stronger. And yeah, that picture of God as a refuge who was totally safe and strong and secure mm. was was really important to me. And he was that ever-present help, you know, that sense of God there walking every step of the road with us. So whether we felt elated because suddenly the readings on the monitors were positive and he seemed to be doing okay, and and that sense of God rejoicing in that, Mm. or whether we were kind of struggling because he was having a a sick day again, um, but knowing that God was close in that, that, that really, really helped us through. Um, And it goes on to say, therefore, we will not fear, though the Mm. earth gives way. Even if my world collapses, I don't need to fear because God never will. Mm. He's absolutely secure. He's unchangeable. He's completely steadfast. Mm. So when things are difficult, we have a tendency to put our beliefs on the shelf and cling to our doubts. And yet we need to do it the other way round. When we've got questions, we need to put the put our doubts on the shelf and hold hold fast to what we believe. And I think that's where life felt like it was crumbling. To go to the God who is a refuge and solid rock mm. was really important. Yeah. Isaiah 43, 1 to 2 says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. So, John, did that give you hope? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a passage that we've come back to many times in, in, in difficult periods of life. And that sense that, as Anderson said, God's presence with us um, through those difficult times, sometimes felt very intimately and in a very sort of powerful way, sometimes not felt, but we're trusting he's still there with us. Um, immense help. And I think for me, again, just going back to that thing that God that God knows what it's like to see his son die. That was incredibly powerful for me. So his presence with me wasn't just a sort of a fact. It was, it was an empathy as well. It was a God who understood what it felt like for your heart to break over the death of a son. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was very powerful and gave, mm-hmm. gave a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. Have you found that through all of this, you have been able to help others? Yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. Um, I, one of the things that I've often reflected is there's, although no two situations are the same, and it's important that you don't say, oh, you know, I know what that feels like because, because mm. actually you don't know what another person feels <coughs> like. Nonetheless, there is a sort of 
commonality in our human experience of grief. When you've had your heart broken in half, it might be over the loss of a parent, it might be over a loss of a child, but there is a kind of solidarity in human pain that gives you a connection with other people, even if their reason for pain is is different. Now, a couple of questions have come in from our intimate live audience here tonight. Um, Maybe fun for you, Alison. Do you ever move on from serious grief? And if so, how? I think some of the big things that happen in life are the big losses and, um, yeah, the, the sorrows that we face. They change us. And, and in a sense, people talk about getting back to normal. Well, it's completely different now. You can't say you get back to normal because life now is so different to what it was before. So I kind of feel that, you know, with our times of grief... Yes, you do. Well, life moves on. Life around you moves on in a, a way that you kind of think, help, you know, can't the world just stop for a little while while, while we all work this through together? But, but it doesn't. The rest of the world carries on. And you've kind of got to try and catch up at some point. So you do move on, but you move on as a different person. Um, I feel, for me personally, that, that what what God taught me through those days ultimately enriched me and grew me. So I still have times where I feel the sadness and the pain. I mean, now it's 20 odd years on. So, you know, it's not that I'm, I'm weeping (laughs) regularly or whatever, but there are times when it catches me Mm. and there is sometimes even by surprise. Yeah. And there are still times when I will cry over my boys, but, Life has moved on, and I, I think I've just learned to, that there have been so many things that we've learned through that experience that, that have made us the people we are now that yeah, I kind of wouldn't want to... Oh, I've got to be careful what I say. Um, Which it's shaped you in a way that you benefit from. Yeah, so I'm, I'm ultimately grateful, so grateful for, for what I've learned you, through it. But you don't want to ever want to have to lose boys to do, make that happen. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing, obviously, a very painful and difficult uh, season of your life. Um, so, Alison and John, wrapping up, um, how do you deal with the loss of a child? I would say you turn to God, who is the loving father who wants to hold you and walk with you and without him, I don't know how I'd have dealt with it, but he has given me hope. I would say with honesty, with faith and with the hope of heaven. Honesty, because you tell God how you feel and he can take it. Faith, because we believe that God is good because of what we see in Jesus Christ. Hope of heaven, which actually puts all of our suffering in some kind of bigger picture context and gives us the hope of, of reunion as well. Let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to the big question, how can I deal with the loss of a child? From Psalm 46, 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guests today, John and Alison Risbridge. Enjoy bigger questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. 
go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.